Welcome to Something Wicked, where each episode we will discuss topics on true crime, haunted histories, and all things paranormal. This week on Dead Man's Party, we're going to be talking about a haunted house at 1699 Belmont Street, Bel Air, Ohio, that has been terrifying its occupants for over a century. It is the epitome of otherworldly fuckery. We've got demonic activity, spiritual portals, and to top the cupcake, why not throw an Indian burial ground into the frosting mix that is the infamous Bel Air house? So turn off the lights, kick back, and get all comfy-like. Enjoy. Welcome back. So as we are in a brand new section of the show, we decided to head in a new direction. Don't worry, we're not changing the topics. We just figured new co-hosts, new subjects, why not mish everything together and make the show something new and exciting with each episode. I know the first season was all about serial killers, but we're going to make it along the lines of this week will be a haunted house, next week might be an urban legend, after that another killer maybe, just switch it up, you know? So, we hope you're all looking forward to a fun-filled, super-chilled Halloween season of scary stories. Let's get spoopy. As we stated in the trailer, we wanted to get a head start and reclaim this part of the year for all the horror fanatics. And even though it's about halfway through the month, I truly do believe that Halloween starts on September 1st and doesn't end until November 3rd. I mean, I wish Halloween was all year round, but if commercial Christmas keeps creeping its way back to Easter, I will put on my war paint and keep that bitch at bay. Halloween has started and I will die on that hill, damn it. War were declared. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And speaking of war, the history of the Belair House, although still active today, actually starts way the fuck back to the French and Indian War of 1754. Also known as the Seven Year War, that was actually a world war, not just fought in North America. So that fiasco was the fourth attempt at winning from either the French or the British, because back in their homeland, neither side won in King William's War, Queen Anne's War, or King George's War. The difference being is that now we're all on the same soil and fighting for all the territories. This was the starting domino that led up to the American Revolutionary War with the lead up being the European Wars, which were Britain, France, Netherlands, and Spain in a worldwide power struggle for the power over trade and territories in the 1700s. The common misconception that happens a lot with the French and Indian War is that it's mistaken to be that the French were fighting against the Native American tribes, when in reality, the French allied themselves with the tribes who took advantage of the profitable fur trade, including the Shawnee tribe of the Ohio River Valley that becomes into play later to fight against the British and their 13 colonies, because at the time, France owned about 75% of North America. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So they were none too happy when the colonists were like, hey, so you don't really have anyone living in the Ohio Valley, and we need more land because we outrule your population, so we're just gonna take it. And the French were like, fuck you, your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries. Now go away before I taunt you a second time. (laughs) 
And the British were like, well, we'll just send our boy Washington over. And after all that, everything went to hell. So So without going into the entire history, the gist of the war at its end is that Britain won because a man named William Pitt over in Britain dumped a crap ton of money into the British Navy, helped create a blockade to cut off supplies to the French and sent boatloads of troops, about 30,000 of them, to do the fighting in North America. These moves made the Iroquois tribe, who were originally non-committal, to join the British war effort. As a result of that, the French lost one of their major forts, Fort Duquesne, which is renamed Fort Pitt after William Pitt, which, interestingly enough, uh, is the monument of that fort now sits in the middle of modern-day Pittsburgh. France was pushed back and lost all the territories in the U.S. Overall, 13,412 people died in this war between being killed in action or dying as a result of wounds or disease. So needless to say, there are probably a lot of those people still chilling in the Ohio River Valley, right near or right on top of the spot that the Blair House was built. And getting to the Shawnee tribe, the house was built right in front of the Shawnee tribe's burial caves and owned by a British man named Jacob Hetherington. Oh man, so that's not fucked. Yeah. So after the Shawnee allied themselves with the French to the Fran- uh, French to fight against the British, in comes this English family and is like, you know what? This spot looks pretty right in front of your dead. I'm gonna put my house here. How Good about that? Choice of land, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> so Jacob Hetherington was born on March seventh. 1814 in England to parents John and Rebecca. The family moved to the U.S. in the mid-1800s to the town of Belair in Belmont County, Ohio, which was founded in 1834. At the time, Belair thrived as a glass manufacturer in the 1800s, giving it the title of Glass City. It's also known for its coal mines, coal being the local energy source, as Belmont County was part of the eastern Ohio coal region. So John and his sons started working for a coal miner named Captain John Fink, From the time he was seven years old, Jacob was put to work for 16 to 18 hours a day, digging 2,400 feet underground in the coal mines. As he got older and got married to a woman named Eliza, he found a plot of land near the site of the current Belair mansion, along with his close friends and neighbors, the Davises. The Davises had a little girl named Emily who would play over at the Hetherington's home with their children. Emily, unfortunately, died at a young age when she was playing down by the river near their houses and drowned. One night, a falling star flew over the treetops of the farmland they were living on and caught Eliza's attention. She followed it all the way over to the fields uh, until she saw it go past the Davis's house. Now, this was near the middle of the night, so Mrs. Davis was surprised to see Eliza this late for something other than an emergency. Eliza asked Mrs. Davis if she could... Uh, if she had seen the falling star. Mrs. Davis replied that Eliza should drop to her knees and pray to the gods because a falling star was a bad omen. So Eliza did that, but she was honestly more concerned with finding it. Why? I don't really know. Could have just been curiosity. Now, I've never heard of that before. I always was told that falling stars were something you should make a wish on. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, it's always been like a wish or a good luck or something like that. I've never heard it be referred to as like bad in any way. Yeah. So (laughs) whether Eliza did that or not begs the question, but 
things only started looking up from there for the couple for the time being. See? Good luck. Yeah. When Jacob turned 18, he rented a coal bank from Captain Fink and bought eight acres of land on credit. This was the foundation on which he built his fortune. Jacob's business grew and he took a partner, which was a three and a half foot tall mule that he named Jack. The new firm became known as Jack, uh, Jake Hetherington and his mule Jack. I always get those two mixed up because Jack and Jack Jake. Jack and Jake, they're <laughs> so close together, man. Yeah. <laughs> his eight acres turned into 800. He owned 30 some odd houses, oh, shares in glassworks, a hotel, coal and timberland, railroad stocks, 30 coal barges, steamboats, and other business interests. So he turned into this millionaire that basically owned the entire village of Bolero, Ohio. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he still worked besides his employees along with Jack, working the same hours day after day until he had made enough to start building the Bolero house in 1847 at a cost of $35,000, which today is around $791,000. So shit ton of money went into that house. Yeah. <laughs> when he was finished, he was so proud and so appreciative of the help that he got from his, uh, his pet Jack that he took him on a tour through the whole house and even made a keystone on the archway above the front door in the likeness of Jack in dedication. Many years later, the keystone has since been removed during renovations and moved into the home's library where it is mounted mounted under a painting of the house with a plaque that reads the house that Jack built. Jack lived to be a little over 40 years old by the time he passed. He had aged so much that he turned completely white and couldn't move almost at all anymore. Jacob was heartbroken when he died and had Jack buried under an apple tree on the property with a little marker. That part of the property has since been sold and reused to build another hotel. The apple tree is no longer there, but the marker remains, along with a memorial plaque at the edge of town in honor of the mule that helped build the town into what it is today. So an interesting fact that I actually found um, is that Jacob named his mule Jack because he saw that Jack was helping him build all this stuff with him. He got inspired by that old nursery rhyme, this is the house that Jack built. So he named his mule that. And now that the plaque says that, and I, I just, I think that's a cool that really like, interesting. distinction between the two. Um, hence the name of the episode. Also the house that Jack built. I, I thought it was pretty cool to like put that little factoid in here as a background on the house. I wonder if the mule's spirit is still at the house. That'd be interesting. No way to communicate with it because it's an animal, but, like, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, either at the house or, I don't know, maybe at the hotel, too. Right. That yeah. was another thought because if he was buried there and now the hotel's sitting there. Yeah, that's true. That would be really fun to find out. Like, if you ever heard a hotel ghost, I'm like, I'm hearing bring in the middle of the night. What the hell? There's a donkey that wanders in the halls. What the fuck is this about? <laughs> Why y'all have animals in here? That's Seriously? unsanitary. <laughs> Sorry, sir, there are no animals. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> now, I know that was all very long and sweet and interesting, but now let's get into the spoopy shit that we know you all came here for. <laughs> Jacob ended up living a long, happy life with his wife and children, and when he died in 1904, his coal business was passed down to his son, Alex, who was assisted by Alex's daughter, Lyde. Who names their daughter Lyde? I have no idea. I've heard that name so many times, and it must have been in, like, the early 1900s, a very popular name, but it just 
in my opinion, that name sucks. I am so sorry if anybody listening happens to have that name or know somebody with it, but I just, I am not a fan. Yeah, same. It to sounds me, like a cleaning chemical to me. It is. because Well, lye was. It was lye, a very okay. por- poisonous cleaning chemical. That's why, honestly, like, before this, I had never heard of that name. That's why when I read it, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's no stranger than most of the names that are given today to oh babies God. that are ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my god. So anyway, moving on rather quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, after a time, the business started to fail due to Alex having visual and auditory hallucinations. There was a coal mine explosion with one of the interconnected tunnels that led to the mine directly under the Bel Air house. 46 men had died and it took a week for the bodies to even be recovered from that devastation. Yeah, so some say that the decline was the massive amounts of stress due to the responsibility he now had to carry for the family. Others say that he was cursed and haunted because of the explosion. Either way, Alex was absolutely no bueno. Like, he started having epileptic seizures, accompanying the hallucinations, and claimed that demons were after him. So, needless to say, he was deemed incompetent and was locked up in a lunatic asylum. Not long after his admission, the coal business was taken over by his daughter, Lyde. So, Lyde and her brother, Edwin, lived a very lavish lifestyle with a lot of servants. And by servants, it's not clear from what we found anyway whether they were actually servants or slaves i say that because there were slaves owned back then but the belair house was also part of the underground railroad another interesting factoid oh that's cool yeah and tragedy seemed to follow the siblings um one of the servants had a child who had died in the home after falling out of the attic window and after a few years she took over lied died of a heart attack and front of the fireplace in the living room of the house this is now the seance room that is in the front entrance of the house Hmm. yeah and after Lyde's death uh her brother edwin never got over the lost after leaving the military in the 1900s he had moved into the house to be close to his sister and now she was gone because of this edwin became obsessed with the idea of contacting her from the other side he contacted occult experts from all over the country and had invited them over to help him in the same time he had become fascinated with the afterlife and started studying the occult and the art of communicating through different mediums what he wanted was to strengthen his own psychic ability and what he got was being taken advantage of by psychic mediums of questionable talent squeezing money out of his desperation yeah that tracks yeah which is terrible it is awful it is like there are again a few good ones out there that really genuinely want to help as you'll see later on in this episode but it's it's really horrible to hear somebody taking advantage of another person especially in a situation like that and grief and unfortunately that happens to be one of the easiest states for people to take advantage of is when you are in deep grief yeah because you can't think straight about anything yeah yeah so modern day paranormal investigators along with current owner Kristen lee believe that edwin's constant attempts to contact lied prompted him to tap into the negative energy surrounding the area and opened up portals inside the home 
So now we've got deaths surrounding the war on the property, the death of Emily, the deaths of the men from the explosion, which was connected with the house, the Shawnee burial caves out behind the house, the tunnels from the Underground Railroad, Edwin's portals, the Ohio River that flows toward the house, so there's a constant energy flow from that. Oh, and can't forget the cherry topping. The house sits on ley lines. Yeah. (laughs) So. There's also the kid that fell out the window. Yeah. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. The kid that freaking fell out the window. I completely forgot about that. Like, no. Poor kid. <laughs> so, the ley lines are lines that crisscross around the world, like latitudinal and longitudinal lines that are dotted with monuments and natural landforms and carry along with them rivers of supernatural energy. Along these lines at the places they intersect, there are pockets of concentrated energy that can be harnessed by certain individuals, i.e. psychics, mediums, etc. So with that being said, the Belair house is pretty much a spiritual nexus. Like... It's just everything from everywhere coming into this place. (laughs) Getting back to it, after Edwin's death, and no, as far as we know, he was never able to make contact with his sister, unfortunately. The house was just sort of abandoned until it was resold in the 1960s. One of the first accounts of supernatural occurrences came from a young policewoman who lived there in the 60s. Her story was retold in an interview with Kristen, the current owner Uh, And she stated, quote, I can't speak of the house that Jack built, but I can speak of the Belair house, which someone lived in the 1960s to late 70s. In that neck of the woods, a lady came forth years after the Belair house had been noticed on television. There was this big Belair house buzz, a big paranormal buzz going on. And she stated that she was in the back bedroom. When she came back to the house, she actually came back uh, to the house and faced her fears 20 years later. She stated that, and she was a police officer, so she went to the back bedroom the master bedroom which we called the ed hetherington room and she said that she had been lifted up into the air was able to look down at her friend who was still sleeping and was able to see like old-fashioned black and white tvs that were in the room and she just dropped down on the bed another incident she had uh she went into the bathroom on the second floor which was right next to the room that she was in which i guess you could call it levitated above and stated that she was locked in the bathroom for hours and was screaming and pounding on the door for somebody to let her out and no one heard her. And when she came back to the Blair house, we had a public event going on that night. She went into the basement and she came back up and she had three very long red scratches on her back and she didn't feel comfortable staying and she left. So she came back about a year later. She came back and it was completely different. The house was completely shifted. The house does that. There's some days where nobody can stay there because you're in harm's way. Then there's others days when you can set up your equipment and you can have a very nice, calm, commutative session with the spirits of the Blair house. You just never know. It's very unpredictable. End quote. Wow. Yeah. So that was just like the first one of this lady living there. Like something literally just picked her up off the bed. (laughs) And dropped her and then locked her in the fucking bathroom. Ouch. Like, yeah, that was just like, that's very... Terrifying. It's terrifying, but that's like just nice compared to some of the other shit. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. It's it's bad. Like, oh my god. <laughs> After the policewoman moved out, several families tried to buy or rent the home and would stay there for a little while, but... 
soon be driven out due to the unbearable supernatural activity in the home. People were becoming too scared to even go near the property. It eventually became abandoned again, and over the years, up until 2005, neighbors would report strange sounds coming from the house and sometimes even saw apparitions through the windows, even though no one had been inside for years. Whoa. Yeah, so Kristen Lee and her family would become its next victims in 2005. They had been homeless for a time as their previous home had suffered through two flash floods during hurricanes and the second one literally carried their house away downriver after destroying it. Wow. Yeah, like they sat, they stood there in like the rescue boats and like watched their house float away. It was, it's, I know this happens to a lot of people, unfortunately, but. It's almost unfathomable unless you've seen it yourself and whatnot, just to see a river carry away a house, a whole ass house. Yeah. That's nuts. So when Kristen was able to purchase the foreclosed Belair house for only $46,000, she thought a miracle had happened. When she moved in, she already had two jobs and was going to graduate school. She was a psychologist and had no belief in the paranormal, nor knew anything about the house's history. For a short time, nothing really happened around the house until they started renovating. Shocker! Oh, man. Yeah, you're (laughs) disturbing stuff now. Yeah. And little by little, the activity picked up. It started with objects being moved, such as Kristen would put down a hammer on top of a box, and when she turned back, it was gone. So petty arguments would arise about someone in the family playing a prank on them or just taking tools, not saying anything. Then a 50-pound box of floor tiles disappeared. Which she has never found to this day, mind you. And they started to get creeped out. I would too. Like, that, that is a heavy ass box for some ghosts to move and just like make completely disappear. Like, it's gone. Also, the fuck? Why, why would you tiles? I don't know. What is the point of that? They, they probably didn't like the color. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bitch, this was last season. I don't like this. <laughs> oh my god, I sounded like fucking Leslie for a second. I love that man, though, so much. I love him. He is such a treasure. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, my God. So the first official occurrence that Kristen believed to be supernatural was when she she and her family were sleeping in the living room one night. It was in late fall, but they were in Ohio and it wasn't exactly freezing. Kristen woke up in the middle of the night to the feeling of someone shifting on the other end of the couch she was sleeping on. When she saw her son and husband sleeping on the other couch and furniture, she was a little thrown off because she originally thought it was her kid wanting her attention. It makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, get up in the middle of the night. They need something. But then she sat up. Her breath visibly came out in this chilled scream as she saw this gray, transparent figure of an older man in a hat sitting on the other side of the couch. She called out to him saying, who are you? What do you want? The man said nothing, had zero expression, like not one ounce of emotion on his face and just sat there staring at her. Yeah. Then he got up and she watched the cushion of the couch rise up as if someone had actually been sitting there. Which is creepy enough because when you see apparitions, it's like, okay, am I seeing things? Am I not? And then like the couch actually physically like moved like he was getting up and then he walked towards the foyer and vanished like right before her eyes, like just there one second, gone the next. Mm. Yeah. So she was terrified, confused and didn't know what to do, how to deal with it, what she just saw. 
She told her husband about it, but he convinced her it was just the stress. They had just moved in. She was going through school and two jobs. So maybe it was too much for her mentally to handle at the time. And her brain created something up. And at first she agreed with him and tried to blame stress and said, quote, I thought I was just tired and questioned my sanity. I never believed in the paranormal because I'm a trained forensic mental health professional, as well as a master level psychologist. I blame psychology until there was no more psychological reasoning, end quote. And Kristen did try to push it off and move on, which I could understand that if you are a psychologist. Yeah. Mm-mm. Of and, course, you're going to go through every possible way that your brain could be messing with you. Yeah. And uh, being in that situation, they had just gone through the flood. They had moved into a brand new home. She has two jobs going through mas- master school for another degree mm. in psychology. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can see where she would think it's just stress because stress can really fuck you up. Oh, yeah, it can. Yeah. So bad. Like, even in, even if you are really tired to that point, like, I know there are some nights that I get so tired, like, I stay up so late that I actually start seeing shit because my brain is like, you're supposed to be dreaming right now, so we're going to put some monster in the corner of your room. <laughs> yeah. Because why not? <laughs> but I know that's, like, a hallucination because I'm fucking tired. Yeah. So, <laughs> as the years went on, however... Things started to decline rapidly. There were more and more incidents that happened that Kristen kept chalking up to psychology and like stress and would be in complete denial. A lot of these incidents we've not been able to find much about, mostly due to Kristen being too uncomfortable to discuss. The couple that she did talk about, however, uh, were what's was this tipping point of Kristen eventually leaving the house altogether. The occurrences we could not find any info on is more than likely in the book that Kristen later published called Paranormal Confessions, True Stories of Hauntings, Possession, and Horror from the Blair House. I have not had the pleasure to read it just yet, but I will definitely be picking a copy up because after doing the research on this house, I am all in for this. Like, there's so much shit that I really want to read. this book to see what she has to say because I've read the description of it and if it's it's like it talks about the history of the house and um all the minor to major incidents they're talking about supernatural sexual assault there's demonic possession there's yeah there's crazy shit that happened kind of like how when one of the parent kids from the conjuring house wrote the book and there's so much more included in it than you see in like Hollywood right and other instances and stuff like that is like what happened there was like so much worse and they actually stayed there for like a couple decades versus only like a year like you hear about and this shit went on for the decades that they were there oh my god yeah so a lot of time to be dealing with that sort of shit yeah and again it was same with this like she was there for like years um but she also noticed a change in her husband's behavior he had once been this like as she described this tree hugging super free-spirited teddy bear one of the kindest most selfless people you could ever meet he was a musician and would spend his days playing instruments and writing his songs then almost out of the blue he was a completely different person and was now taking over the personality something was taking over the personality of her partner he had scheduled um scheduled jesus fuck I can't do worse. 
secluded. I saw the word secluded and I had schedule in my head. Anyway, he had secluded himself to the attic where he stayed almost 24-7. He had stopped playing instruments and when he did interact with the family, it was very angry and very mentally and physically abusive. So they unfortunately ended up divorced because Kristen couldn't have that anymore and had to think about her son. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's sad because it's like, you know, they still, she still loved him and they still, you know, they're still friends now. Like, they're all better now. But, like, I can't imagine, like, you know, my husband being who he is. Like, he is one of the most lovable people you'll ever meet. And then all of a sudden, just one day he's going to wake up and be fucking Satan. Like, that would... Yeah, dude, that's fucking awful. Yeah. So... Like, like I said, her and her ex are friends now. Um, apparently, the more time he spent away from the house, the better he got. Not shocked there. Like, yeah. you know. But it did take him, Kristen said, 10 years to even start getting back to the man she knew. He even picked up his guitar. So they're on good terms. Like, it took him that. It took him a whole ass decade to shake that shit from the house off of him. That's insane. Yeah. There must have been something attached to him. Had to be. Yeah. yeah. Another incident happened when her son and husband were out and she had a friend over. Kristen had a cell phone, so she had no use for a landline, but there was still a disconnected receiver on the wall in front of the basement door. She and her friend were up late writing songs and playing music when the landline started ringing. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. Oh, hell no. Kristen chose to ignore it and told her friend that it was just a bill collector or something. She didn't want anyone to know about the weird stuff that had been happening around the house. Years after it came out that the house was haunted, the friend asked Kristen why she never told him because he would have believed her and helped her. But being a psychologist and all her friends also being psychologists, she was afraid that if she had said anything, they would think she was unstable. Again, understandable. Like, yeah. you don't go to your other shrink friends and be like, hey, I'm seeing ghosts. They'd be like, hey, you need medication. <laughs> like, do you want me to schedule you in for a session? Because we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I want help with this bullshit. That's what I want. Yeah, for real. Like, the last straw was another night Kristen was home alone. She had her dog with her, uh, an American pit bull named Bella. So this big 60-pound dog... Like, just relaxing with her in her room as Kristen was falling asleep. Then she woke up to her bedroom door being opened. The master bedroom. Now, Kristen is adamant about the fact that she religiously closed all the doors and windows and kept them locked at night. So she knew for a fact that no one else was home and that she had closed the door. But lo and behold, the door was now wide open and floating in the middle of the room was this black mass that she described as a really dark green cloud. Oh, no. Yeah. So she was paralyzed as the mass moved closer to her. Bella had got up and stood on top of her so close that Kristen could feel Bella's breath and drool on her face. Bella was trying to protect her and was viciously barking and growling at this thing that was threatening her owner. Then, in a flash, Bella was picked up and thrown violently at the wall. She yelped in pain and fell motionless to the floor. Oh, no. Like, yeah. That, so now this thing, I'd like, I'd be pissed. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be terrified anymore. Like, I would go from scared to, like, who the fuck just threw my baby? Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> Kristen started crying and praying because in that moment she thought, this is the moment that kills me. This is the moment that I die. After a few minutes, she was able to get up again and she immediately grabbed her dog and got the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. No, fuck that. Bye. Yeah. 
Yeah. So good news though, like the dog did live. Yeah. It's normal lifespan. That's good. But it's just like, oh God, I cannot. Because like I have pets, I can't. If something throw, if something got and thrown, thrown my cat against something, like no, no, I the, it would be war. I'd be pissed. I'd either burn the house down or exercise the shit out of it or something. I'd be mad. <laughs> this is a stupid thought. I wonder if they can even do that with cats. Because of the affinity that cats supposedly have towards the supernatural, I have never heard a story about a cat getting fucked up by any sort of ghost. But I've heard several stories about dogs. Same, like actually. Now that she points into the that basement out, or something, or like just crazy shit like that. But I have never once heard anything about a cat getting hurt by the supernatural. But the cats are the ones staring in the fucking corner when you know there's yeah. nothing there. I've heard of cats Horrible. gone going ape shit. Yeah, and acting vicious. Yeah, like they got affected by something. But I've never heard. Yeah, about I, them getting hurt or affected by exactly. it otherwise. Yeah, same. That's crazy. No, that, that it makes me think too because I know, like you said, like cats are more. That's one one of the reasons I actually love cats is because they're more attuned to. Like, the spiritual energies and stuff. Yep. That's how I know. If, like, my cats start freaking out, I think maybe something's going on. But if they're, like, perfectly content and I'm feeling off, I'm like, you know what? We're good. My cat doesn't see shit. I don't see shit. I don't know nothing. <laughs> you know what's really funny is I cannot rely on my cat for that because she's just a fucking sketchball. So, her ass, when it's just me and her awake at night, yeah. she'll be running around the house freaking out about something. And I'm like, you need to stop. You're freaking me out. But then she'll do it in the middle of the day, too. And I'm like, can you... Can you not? You're just a fucking sketch ball. (laughs) Knock it off. You're not helpful here. Oh my god. (laughs) I want to keep the podcast focused on content that entertains, informs, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support would help the show grow so much, so I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take 30 seconds. It's glow.fm forward slash something wicked. That's glow.fm forward slash S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G-W-I-C-K-E-D. We're asking for $3 a month, but you can contribute as much or as little as you'd like. If something wicked is part of your day or week and you love what we're doing, please go to glow.fm forward slash something wicked and support us any way you can today. It's dead simple and again will take no more than 30 seconds. Click the link in the show notes, pay with Apple or Google Pay, and click the link of the podcast player that you want to use. You can listen anywhere at any time. Happy listening! Shortly after that incident, Kristen filed for bankruptcy on the house. She didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. She was now sure that these occurrences were more than just psychological. (laughs) I mean, after you watch your fucking 60-pound dog get thrown against the wall, that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd be like, honestly, I I would have long thought that "Hmm, maybe it's a ghost. Maybe I'm not just crazy. But okay. (laughs) Especially if it's only happening in the house and not anywhere else. Yeah, I, I could see that too. Yeah. Yeah. But so she started looking into paranormal research and found uh, the Ohio Paranormal Research Team. The lead investigator didn't believe the stories that she was telling him at first. He thought that she had mental problems and actually did a full blown psychic eval on her. 
Wow. Like, yeah, like, he is by no means a psychologist, you know, like, Kristen is. Yeah. (laughs) But he felt the need as a paranormal investigator (laughs) to shrink the shrink. After he shockingly found out that there was nothing wrong with her mentally, he got his team together to do an investigation on the house. And when Kristen asked about their findings, they were hesitant to tell her. Apparently, they did an EVP session and asked the spirit or spirits what they wanted with Kristen. And it answered back, Claire Isabel, kill her. Oh my god. Yeah, like they were, mm, no. Yeah, I'd be like, nope, fuck that house. Burn it to the ground. I don't care. (laughs) Kristen felt relieved and terrified at the same time. Relieved, of course, that someone not only believed her, but also that she was not crazy. And terrified because she was still stuck living in a house that wanted her dead. So Kristen decided to write down every paranormal experience she had from start to finish and hit the papers in the house before the bank could come and repossess it to give new owners a heads up. Oh, that's, I think that's the nicest thing I've seen one of these homeowners do because like her, she went in not knowing anything about this house or its history. And so many people can get stuck in that trap and not know what they're dealing with when they move in. Yeah. You find these papers and you're like, Oh, this is a neat story. Yeah. You know, but then shit starts happening and you're like, Oh, oh maybe it's not a story. <laughs> maybe these are relevant. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just, Oh my God, I can't, I still think it's funny, though. It's like, can you imagine being being a new owner of that house and finding a paper and be like, oh, by the way, it has demons and shit in here. Like, I'd be like, um, what? <laughs> How about we look at other places? Turn back now while you have the <laughs> yeah. chance. Unfortunately, God. when Kristen filed for bankruptcy, she found out that the paperwork never got filed. After she had found this cozy little townhouse to settle into, she started receiving phone calls from the town. After getting tired of the harassment, she finally answered one of these phone calls. The town told her that she needed to come to the house and keep up with the lawn or the town would start fining her $800 a day for not taking care of it. Wow, that's awful. Like, what? Yeah, she was like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't own the property anymore. You have no right to come at me with this. And they were like, the hell you don't own it. No one wanted to buy it. (laughs) Seriously. Like, no, no one wanted to touch it. Not the county auditor, the mortgage company, the village didn't want it. She even tried to sell it back to them for a dollar at one point, And they were just like, nope. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she was stuck with it. She had no choice because the village knew all about the history. They knew about this place. So why didn't anybody warn her when she first moved in? Because it wasn't their problem. Assholes. She was a new person. It wasn't their problem. Oh, my God. And now that she was trying to make it not her problem anymore, they were like, fuck you. (laughs) It is still your problem. Yeah. Comes to find out that back in 2010, when she tried to file originally, the mortgage companies were shisty as hell and didn't file properties correctly and cheated a lot of owners into what's called zombie mortgages, which is you own the house, but you don't own the house. So you're responsible for the property and taking care of it because someone screwed up the paperwork. And in Kristen's case, they screwed it up on purpose. Yeah, so she thought it was something supernatural that was refusing her to leave when in reality the mortgage company screwed her so the house never went into foreclosure the paperwork basically sat on the desk for seven years oh my god yeah someone just pushed it to the side and we're like we're not dealing with this we don't fucking want it like yeah (laughs) 
So Kristen tried to rent out the house for several years, but with no family wanting to stay there for very long because of the activity, kind of like how it was before she moved in. So the last renters that she had stayed the longest, but they left after calling Kristen saying that they were packed up and moving to West Virginia. She asked why, and they told her just to come back to the house. And when she got there, she said that the air was so heavy that she felt like she was having a heart attack. Oh my God. Yeah. Like... I know I've, I've been to some places where it's like you can you can feel the energy in the house, but like to have something that yeah no that's, that's like that disgusting. heavy weighed down on you that much uh, uh, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want anything to do with it either. Uh, her story became so popular that it was featured on the show Paranormal Lockdown. Uh, this episode reached 28 million people worldwide. The Belair House became the number one most popular haunted spot on the TVs in the UK to the point that it became front page news for a while over in the UK. One of the show's viewers, a ghost hunter wannabe, uh, found out about the old bankruptcy paperwork. They traced it to a bigwig mortgage company that was out of Buffalo, New York, went there to buy the rights to it. These people called Kristen and told her that if she wanted to keep her house, that she would have to pay them 50 grand. So she fought with them as they continued their threats, claiming that they were going to buy the home and turn it into a paranormal hotspot. They were going to tell all the visitors all of Kristen's private experiences in the home, exploit her family, make buttons out of her dead dog and and her kid, and make mountains of cash off of it. When did her dog die? Well, this was, again, like, this oh, was this after, okay. yeah, this was after, like, her dog had passed away from natural causes. Okay, good. Yeah, so, but they were like, yeah, we're going to make buttons of your kid and your dog and, like, exploit you and your, yeah. So, needless to say, this pissed Kristen off big time, so she vowed not to pay them off, and she and her family left the area again. Like, yeah. Again, with shasty ass people that you just want to punch in the teeth. <laughs> she eventually clapped back at the buyers and told them that she would drag their asses to court and own them for violating federal bankruptcy laws. So they were like, you know what? The mortgage isn't really a good thing for us, so we're just going to sell it. So after all that of threatening her, of like owning it, they, they sold it. Uh, to a creditor. Wow. Yeah. So Kristen got a hold of the creditor and managed to talk him down to thirty-five grand to buy the paperwork for the house that never got filed in the first place that she already still owned. I feel so bad for Kristen. Like, she went through so much bullshit with the house itself and then all of this and all the money had to be dumped into it. Like... Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's a <laughs> trooper, man. Yeah, she really is. Not only did she survive a house trying to kill her, but she fucking survived these assholes and still was going on to this day. Yeah. But in the meantime, Kristen was still trying to look into the extent of the haunting, so she had found another paranormal team out of Pittsburgh to help her out. During all this legal drama, the team contacted Kristen and her ex to ask about moving the date of the investigation if need be. Her ex said that the original date was fine and that they would leave the door unlocked and the groundskeeper could let them in. Then the head of the team asked Kristen a question that she had never considered up until that point. Had she ever thought about having an investor for the property? Which would make sense. I could see her turn around in this where it's like, oh, no, no, no. You want to turn this into a paranormal hotspot and exploit my ass? No. I'm going to buy it back I'm going to do you. the shit first. Yeah, I'm going to do first. On my house that I own that I didn't want, but I still have it. 
Like, I went through this crap. If anybody's going to get money out of it, it's going to be me. Yeah. So the investor was a Buddhist named John Campbell, and he had helped them get the money together. John then became a partner and co-owner of the Bel Air House. They have now made themselves into an official LLC and are open to the public for investigations. Yes, I have looked into this because it's only a few hours drive away, and I would love for us to do a live investigation for you guys. Then I saw the price, and though worth it, I'll leave a pin in it for now. Because it's not, it's not cheap. But. Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) We will. Because, yeah. I would love to do that. Like a whole ass live investigation to like really experience this. Oh my God. Since opening it to the public, Kristen has been in touch with somewhere around three to 4,000 investigators that have educated her, trained her, empowered her to help her deal with the haunting and to help her on her mission to prove that there is life after death. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. So, yeah. And she's even like now today, again, she stated in the book, she's still... She's still a psychologist, but she actually specifically studies psychology in the field to help families and children deal with things like hauntings and demonic possessions and other stuff like that from a psychological standpoint. Wow, we need more people like that. See, yeah. I'm, I'm respecting this woman more and more as we go. Same. Like, You're I want to awesome be- person. Because the other thing is, like, and, I say, and I'm going to say later, is- is uh, is basically when you go and investigate this house, like you meet her and you interact with her and talk with her. Like I would love to have oh a sit gosh. down with this woman, yeah, and just talk to her about everything and just, yeah. Again, I agree with you. I have so much respect for her because I would love everything to meet she's her been someday. through. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so getting into the supernatural stuffs that happened today, we're gonna kick that off with the groundskeeper Je- uh, Jeff Hapland, who is also a close personal friend to Kristen. Mind you, these reports we're getting into are going to be kind of scatterbrained because it's on podcast via having a React channel or something on YouTube, so they're picked from research on reports and whatnot instead of actually visually seeing them. So we will do our best, because we love you guys. (laughs) So Jeff was conducting his own investigation one day and was pushed out of a second story window. What happened was, is he was heading down the stairs to the first floor and he was shoved. His hand went through the window. He didn't get cut or fall out, but he was hurt pretty bad. Kristen stated that they had bought a new window to replace the broken one eight years ago, but could never get a contractor, let alone anyone, to come in to fix it because everyone was too afraid to go inside the house. Wow. She's since resorted to ask any investigator that is spending the night to fix it for her because that is the only way it would happen. Wow, that's so sad. Yeah, I feel bad for her that she has to do that. Be like, you want to come check out the ghost? Oh, can you also fix my window? Because nobody will do it for me. I feel terrible for her. Yeah. It is noted that when you go there and you start to go up the stairs, the second you start feeling any type of energy or pressure near or around your legs, stop climbing because of what happened to Jeff. It did happen to another investigator as well, but he almost fell completely out, which would have been fun yeah yeah not not so much for him but you know but i guess yeah when you go up the stairs it's it's things will pull you down it so like if you start to feel any sort of way just really like nope i'm going back downstairs we're good peace <laughs> like it's on my lot upstairs now yeah so this house gets class a evps all the time also 
Um, I know I mentioned it before, so what it is, for those that don't know, EVP or electronic voice phenomenon are voices of the dead or spirits that can be picked up on audio recordings, and Class A's are top-notch, like coming through loud and clear, no doubt of what's said at all. Uh, Kristen uh, mentioned that her friend, a Native American man named Mike Simpson, that comes over on occasion and has this really peaceful energy about him. He gets this, like, metric fuck ton of communication, but peaceful activity whenever he's there because he just gives off those, like, happy vibes. So, for some reason, none of the negative energies are like, I want to go near him for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> he's like, no, nope, he's, he's too good for me. I can't be near him. Mike had made contact with these entities in the house that wanted to be called the Star People. The Star People. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah, but also kind of like, What? Kristen was with him and was hearing what these entities were saying and felt a sudden urge to have more to ask more profound questions like how do we save humanity what do people need to do to be more in tune with the spiritual occurrences what's the cure for cancer things like that just out of the blue she's just like let me ask the questions to life they answered one word to her and Mike um and it was in Egyptian, so they had to look up the translation, and that word was gold. Now, it's believed that if you scrape gold into a powder and mix it with water, it becomes an elixir of life. This is actually like yeah. an alchemist-type thing. So, of course, the EVP sparked her interest, and Kristen went down this rabbit hole of research about it and found evidence of a man back in the 18s and 1900s that utilized the power from gold and ended up extending his life to live between 110 and 120 years old. Whoa. Yeah. So she also found out about the use of silver from attending a metaphysical display that her friend was running at a show where her friend was selling bottles of silver saying it could help people sinus problems and improve their overall immune systems. Hmm. This got Kristen thinking about the healing properties of gold and silver. She got more into metaphysical subjects about the existence of deities, reincarnation, things of that nature. It's actually sparked my interest quite a bit. I've always been about homeopathic medicines and stuff, but I think it's really fascinating. That is freaking fascinating. And the fact that, like, star people that answer in Egyptian, like, yeah. that's... Are you sure these aren't, like, aliens or something? Like, I don't know, because that would, that would add a whole new thing to this house on top of everything else that's going on. Yeah, but to think of a place of power like that that's on this crossroads of ley lines and all of these other things, like, yeah, I seriously. wouldn't be surprised if they're able to get communications from all sorts of things, not just spirits. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't shock me either. Mm. But <laughs> apparently, however, the most profound thing that these star people told them that music and love were the only things that would change the perception of humanity, a selfless love and to feel the vibrational rhythmic pull of music. That's what's going to heal the human race. If that's the case, we got a ways to go. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> like I'm I, I've always been a person where like music speaks volumes to me. Mm hmm. Same. Um, but, and I, I love helping people and like being selfless and nice, but like there's again, good majority of the human race is not so much. So yeah, we, At we've least got, there are a lot of people that are on that correct path, you know, if that happens to be the correct path. True. <laughs> but <laughs> not enough people though with what, seven, eight billion. 
yeah. more than that. Is it more than that? I now? think so. I haven't looked in a couple of years. I, same. I don't, I don't know. But, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> on New Year's Eve, Mike ran a public investigation and made contact with a spirit in the attic that was a servant who said his name was Gary. Gary said that he had to stay at the Belair house to combat the dark evil that was there. Gary said that his four-year-old son had been drawn to the attic window and plunged to his death. Curious if this is the same servant that was reported to have lost their child when Lyde and Edwin were alive. Yeah, that's a good question there. Yeah, Gary also said that he couldn't find his wife and that his last name was Hetherington, which made sense because back in the day, all servants took their household surnames. Okay. Yeah, so, like, if you ask somebody, they'd be like, you know, I'm John Hetherington or Mary Hetherington, just stuff like that. And going back to the reincarnation thing, an interesting bit of coincidence happened to Christian, uh, yeah, Kristen, sorry, which... Actually, I don't believe in those. Like, I think everything happens for a reason, but that's besides the point. Kristen, when she was living in her townhouse after this EVP session with Gary, ran into a couple that was four months pregnant at the time with their son, looking to buy the apartment right under theirs. The man told her that he had tried to get into contact with the realtor, but couldn't reach him. She told him that she would grab her phone and text the realtor to give the man's info and work something out. He then told her that his name was Gary and gave her his number. So she texted the realtor and didn't think anything of it at the time. Then she took her son to a soccer game. And when she came back, the couple was standing on the porch of this building looking to get in to talk to the maintenance worker to show them the apartment. So Kristen walked them around the building to the back door and wished them good luck. Then Gary turned to her and said, quote, I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for us. Our gratitude is eternal, end quote. And again, Kristen went on her way. It wasn't until later did she start to think, what if that man was Gary, the one from the Belair house that had the wife and four-year-old son? Because the woman was four months pregnant at the time when they met. What got her thinking this was that even though she had been trained to tell the spirits after an investigation that they had to stay there, which is a very wise thing to do, just point if you ever go on any ghost hunt or anything like that or graveyards whatever when you leave an area just say you're not allowed to follow me you're staying here get away but she felt compelled for some reason to tell gary things like feel free to roam around the house get something to eat in fact you don't have to stay here you can come home with me oh man yeah, which is absolutely not. Just, that's a big no-no. Friendly or not, it's never a good idea to invite anything back home with you. Period. Like, n- no, no good. No. <laughs> no good can come of that. Because then you start opening portals in your own fucking house and have fun with that. But. <laughs> oh. So much crazy. Yeah. Getting back to the house itself, there have been over 8,000 investigations done and every single one has had some type of activity, whether it's orbs, communication, physical contact, or straight up possession. Wow. Yeah, like legit. There has been a report of one of the paranormal investigators being temporarily possessed while he was there. (laughs) Like he did the right thing and cleansed himself and got out of the house before it became permanent, but still a scary thought. That's a really scary thought because if you don't deal with it immediately, then they will get their claws into you and they will not leave. Yeah, no. And then they follow you everywhere. (laughs) Super fun. There's this cool picture they actually have at the bottom of the staircase, and it's filled with the signatures of all the teams that have gone through. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool 
that and it's like i if we ever do go there yeah like that would be awesome to be able to like sign our names and yeah. be like Lori and tari were here <laughs> <laughs> also at the bottom of the stairs they have this doll that's set up on the table like a shrine that you can leave offerings to appease the spirits of the house more specifically this entity that's called emily davis it is thought that Emily is the Davis's daughter from over a hundred years ago that drowned in the river. She likes to play this little toy piano that's in the attic because she likes to hang out there most of the time and she plays pranks on people, but those pranks quickly turn more sinister, such as growling, scratching, people getting hit or thrown. So my thought is that Emily is actually this demonic presence that is masking itself like a dead girl to trick people into thinking everything is cool until it's too late. Yeah, that, that tracks. Yeah, it's what most demons do. And why the fuck, again, why is it always little girls? Uh, because they seem to be the most defenseless and easy to trust. That's what they're trying to do, is to gain your trust and let your guard down so that they can do whatever the hell they want. I can understand that. Yeah. It's still creepy as fuck, though. Because, like... like <laughs> with the little boys, there's the tendency of, oh, well, maybe it's... A violent, it could be a violent little entity, you know, but with a girl, you don't usually think that right off the rip. It's, oh, look at this adorable little girl. It's actually kind of sexist, if you think about it. A little bit. Yeah. Also. Because, like, girls yeah. can be extremely manipulative, at least as they're really little and yeah yeah they can yeah <laughs> girls have their own little niches that can cause problems very true and again but speaking on that though it's just it the whole the whole idea though it's like anytime i see a horror movie or anything like that dolls and little girls like always freak me the fuck out i mean yeah because that is a very common theme very yeah. common yeah. there is one investigation team that i saw um, the, like, the whole documented footage of that was of particular interest because of the amount of activity that they experienced in the house. So they started the investigation at 7 a.m. and decided to explore the house before Kristen showed up to give them the rundown. So when people come and stay the night or just to check out the house, Kristen doesn't disclose much other than the history itself. She does this because she doesn't want people to get in um, get in there and get in their heads of things that may or may not happen, like she a placebo effect. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't want to influence it. So people in the past have, after she used to let everything out on the table, um, they've made up a bunch of experiences that would supposedly happen to them or, like, just didn't happen because they were too in their own heads and freaked out. Yeah. That and the media blew up her story in such a negative way for a while and... Her main goal is to prove the existence of life after death and do serious study on it with the house being the focal point. So she doesn't need people saying stuff happened like just for fun. She needs genuine evidence so she keeps certain things under wraps. Yeah. That and it's like I remember with that team specifically like they asked her questions about her personal experience and she just immediately like froze up and was like PTSD and like did not want to talk about it. It was too painful for her to think about. Yeah. And I completely understand that. Definitely. Uh, she also tells investigators to not talk about personal topics such as friends, family, loved ones, or pets because the negative entities will flip the script and use it against them and says um, to also 
not say the word slaves, like specifically don't say it out loud in that house as it tends to trigger negative energies. And she has to come back to cleanse the house again after the incidents that happened because of that. Wow. Yeah. And she hates being in there. Like she can't stand it. She stays in long enough essentially to do the rundown. And like with this team, like I'm getting into it. She did like a seance with them. But like after that, she's like, peace out, bitch. I'm gone. Like I won't stay in here any longer. That being said, getting back to this team, they knew nothing except the history. They were upstairs and their first experience happened when two members thought they saw a third member of theirs enter a door to the right in one of the rooms, like in front of them, because that person was walking ahead of them. They went to follow him, but that room he turned into was a closet, and the person they thought they saw was behind them in an entirely separate room the entire time. So they, like, just legit followed a ghost that looked exactly like their friend, apparently. It took on the appearance of their friend and just, like, pieced into a fucking closet. That's not freakish at all. Yeah. In that room, they found a note left by previous investigation team. Now, mind you, these notes are all over the house. Like, on notepads. Yeah. Written about the experiences the teams have in each room. This one was left by the Pittsburgh Paranormal Society, and it read, quote, Pittsburgh Paranormal Society, first night in this room, had a lot of orb activity and created a heavy anxiety feeling while trying to sleep. Saturday and Sunday, 3rd and 4th, rough, 1 to 2 a.m., held a spirit box session, had seven spirits come through. They said three out of five of our names in the room said a particular member's name four times in a short time and got very uh, intense and personal to where that was the investigation for him for the night, end quote. So he left. He peaced out because it was yeah. getting too personal. Yeah, that thing was, like, saying stuff that was just, like, hitting way too close to home for him. That's, again, the reason why Kristen's, like, don't talk about your personal shit. Yeah. Yeah, so... And this is not the place to do it. Don't bother. Yeah, this is another thing that happens. The spirits or whoever will single someone out to fuck with. Like, they say their name a bunch of times and mostly interact with them, whether it's negative or positive. Hmm. Yeah, like, they pick one specific person, like, I like you. And then just focus or on I that. I don't like you. Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up tonight. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this room that the team was in is the room that leads to the attic where Emily likes to hang out and where people develop this feeling of being drawn to the attic window that now has a black plastic sheet over it because the window was never fixed. This is the window that the servant's child fell out of. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah, so now that just has this permanent energy of anytime someone goes up in the attic, they automatically feel like this pull, like they have to go right to the window. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah. So this room also houses one of the many black mirrors that are in different points in the house. Now, a black mirror is a divination tool like a Ouija board, only you are able to see who or what you are communicating with. It's traditionally made from obsidian, but the ones in the Belair house are more DIY. And no, I am not going to tell you how how they're made because it's not something I think people should mess with. And in that house, I don't think it's a very good idea. No. <laughs> that, and if you really wanted to make one, it's super easy to figure out how, so there's that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you figure it out on your own. I love you guys, good but luck. no. Mm-hmm. Nope. But, safe. <laughs> but I digress. They went back downstairs, and that's when Kristen arrived to talk to them about the history of the house. She told them that there was a secret tunnel under the house that led to an old mine, but there was no access to it anymore because it had collapsed. Oh. Yeah. So, like, because oh, other teams have gone through there, 
and like got part way into it like they were able to like wedge themselves in the spaces right but like she obviously she tells them about it but it's like you know we don't recommend it because we don't want you to get stuck in a collapsed tunnel yeah yeah (laughs) which yeah safety so then they decided to do a seance to contact the spirits of the house i really hope that Kristen has waivers she probably does Probably. Like, sign this waiver before you walk into this house, because I am not liable for what happens. You knew what you were getting into when you came here. In case of possession, dismemberment, or death, <laughs> we are not responsible for your fuckery. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, they all sat around the table and left a chair open for Edwin, as it's believed that he still likes to attend the seances that are held in the house. Like, they have, they make yeah. it a point to have one empty chair for him. Huh. Yeah, and on the table, they placed an owl feather, a human child skull, and lit a black and white candle. Uh, and why do you have a human child skull? That's my question. I don't know. That's. But that's it was weird. it was a, a legit like not a plastic one. It was a legit human child skull. It was kind of creepy. Oh. Yeah, and then Kristen called on Hecate, Gaia, Saint Michael, Gabriel, Diana, and Apollo to help watch over and protect them as they conducted it. Hmm. Kristen then called out to Edwin, and the flame on the black candle started to go crazy. And, yeah, there was no wind. The white candle was not flickering at all. Like, all the windows were shut. Nothing. Like, nobody was too close to breathe on it in a certain way. Like, it just, like, shot up and then started, like, acting fucking weird. Yeah, so then Kristen stated that she started feeling energy that compelled her to go to the attic and play the piano. (laughs) Kristen asked if the spirit of Emily was with them and the candle flame shot up again. She then asked Emily if she liked one of the investigators, but got no response from her. Instead, she kept hearing the name George being repeated in her head over and over. Then there were footsteps coming down the hallway and walking around the table they were sitting at. Like, I actually heard these. Like, it was it was creepy. Like, you could hear it coming down the hallway and there was absolutely fucking nobody there nobody was like stomping their feet no, it's yeah. nothing you just hear like come down the hall and then like going around you can hear the creaking of the floorboards it was creepy wow. yeah then the team used a type of spirit box called the portal that runs frequencies backwards so like it speaks backwards so if you if you hear words coming through forward and clear they're supposed to be confirmed voices of the dead. And as soon as the box got turned on, a voice came through loud and clear saying, I'm here. It also said the name Denise, the word us, and then a growl came through, followed by the names Alice and uh, Mary Ellen. The phrase, don't wake them up, followed by the second growl. A spirit said, turn on the light, then the room got cold. The phrase, she's in there, came out, then a third growl. And that's when Kristen shut the spirit box off because of the three consecutive growls in such a short period of time. This is a huge no-no when doing spirit boxes or EVPs or any sound, like knocking, footstep, whatever, that comes in threes. Um, That is not just something like you see, like I mentioned earlier, like in the Conjuring movie, when Ed Warren makes the comment about knocking three times in a row, it's an actual thing. This typically happens when there's demonic entity in the area and is trying to mock the Trinity. So father, son, Holy spirit. It's a taunt that's supposed to let you know that it's there and it's trying to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like egging you on. Uh, After the seance, they went upstairs and found another note from previous teams that people have slept in that room. So the, attic room at the bottom of the stairs Mm -hmm. um 
but got woken up several times by something grabbing their feet and trying to pull them out of bed. Also, black shadow masses that hang out by the closet and sit in the rocking chair next to the bed. Almost forgot about the toy room before we go further. That room is creepy as shit. <laughs> like, it's got a bunch of dolls that move on their own and have a lot of reports showing up in different spots in the room while you sleep. Oh. Which, no fucking thank you. Yeah, no. Again, like I said, I hate dolls. And they are. They're all like old, old ass per- porcelain dolls. Oh, no. Those are the worst. Yeah. So, like, can you imagine waking up at like three o'clock in the fucking morning and a doll's just chilling on the end of the bed? Oh, my like, God. Like, no, fuck no. you. I'm out. I, I actually had one of those porcelain dolls once. Not because of choice. No, a friend gave it to me because she didn't want it anymore. And I didn't really get any choice in this. So mm. I stuffed it in the closet and closed the closet and locked it. Because I'm like, I swear, if that bitch ends up out this closet and in my room anywhere, I'm burning the whole place down. Fuck that. Oh, you want to hear one better? <laughs> My grandmother collects the Victorian porcelain dolls, and she thought it was a great idea when I was little to, like, have me start collecting them, too. So they would be all on the banister around my room. No. Yep. And I would have fucking nightmares of these bitches, like, crawling around and shit. It was terrifying. (laughs) Until I finally convinced my parents to, like, put them in totes and, like, put them away. (laughs) Because I couldn't take it anymore. It scared me so much. I can't do it. No. Oh, God. No. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> God. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Right, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> the team went up to the attic and used the portal. It immediately said one of the investigators' names several times, followed by watching you. Oh. Both said in a little girl's voice. Which is also not a, it's it's a rare occurrence. When you have things like spirit boxes and stuff like that, because it's radio frequencies it goes through, it's always, it's supposed to be at least always a different type of voice. Yeah, because it's pulling other people's yeah. words and stuff to create sentences. Yeah, when whether, you hear reoccurring of the same voice. Yeah, so, Ooh. yeah, no, no. So the team asked if anyone was there with them and it came back with, yeah, demon. What? Which, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, so, she's just fucking with him now. Then they turned on the obvious, like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, okay, going back to that, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm, I'm a demon, what you can do? <laughs> it's like, no, no. You know no. I'm here, I know I'm here. <laughs> Let's just get this shit going. <laughs> yeah, they turned on the obvious, which is another EVP tool, and it said something indistinguishable, so one of the team asked what it just said, and the portal responded, there is no obvious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Again, I would nope so fucking hard out of there at that point. I'd probably be laughing my ass off this whole time, honestly. I, I'd be so freaked out. Like, I would want to stay, but I'd be freaked the fuck out. Like, no, no. Uh-uh. And again, they're in the attic, which is like has the most activity. So, oh God. And on the ovulus and portal simultaneously. So like at the same exact time, two different fucking devices came up with the words American, square bed, pillow, dead, later, followed by an audible growl. So these, this team are, they're Americans. One of them was planning on sleeping in the room at the bottom of the attic stairs that has a square bed in it. So they decided that none of them were sleeping at all that night anymore. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> yeah. 
Because the last thing they wanted, like, they basically were suspecting that a random ghost was going to come up and, like, smother them with a fucking pillow in the middle of the night. So they're like, yeah, nope, we're not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing that they did was around 5 a.m. the next day, they decided it would be a good idea to use the black mirror that was in the bedroom. So they propped it up underneath the camera so, like, you could actually see their reactions and stuff and each investigator all five sat in front of it with a black candle lit in between them and the mirror and stared into it for one minute each one at a time when they were done three of them had not seen anything but two of them did so they waited for each other to be done with their turn and wanted to say what they saw at the same time so as not to make it seem like they were making it up like they sat down or like yeah. said the same shit so like and it I was all it down yeah, and it was all uncut, so there was no chopped up edit, so they didn't have any time to sit there and talk to each other about what the fuck they saw. Right. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, but it scared the hell out of them both, and they had both seen themselves in the mirror, which, first and foremost to mention, in a black mirror, you cannot see your reflection at all. Like, you're not supposed to. You get, if you have a candle in front of it, like, you see the light refraction, but, like, that's it. You don't see your fucking face at all. Yeah. But they saw their own faces, and then their faces started to age and grow old faster and faster until their skin rotted off their skull and then disappeared completely. Ew. Yeah. Then the lead investigator, one of the ones that saw himself aging, started getting scratch marks from under his skin on his hand. Ugh. Like, you could actually see them appearing on his hand from underneath and because he was like there's no like raised area it was underneath Ugh. yeah i was like what the fuck and that was the end of their investigation yeah <laughs> so this place has a lot of crazy activity and i want to go there so bad to see it for myself because i watched a good handful of footage on this place and i'm so anxious to like experience at least some of it for myself yeah so, with everything that has happened in the past with this house and with everything still going on today between spirits, demons, and any other energies that are hanging around there, I am not surprised that this place has the reputation it does in being one of the most haunted houses in the world. Even though that phrase gets thrown out way too many times and is annoying as hell when doing research on the paranormal because it's like oh this house is the most haunted Literally no this one is no this one house. is everyone yeah this is the most haunted house in america this is the most haunted house in the world oh don't forget the most evils oh oh yeah, yeah there's God. that but this house truly is one of the few that i think deserves the title honestly with everything that's happened there just from these few because there are hundreds of accounts of this place yeah and just from the few of them that we've been able to scratch the surface of i honestly believe that 100 percent. oh yeah like there is something really sinister there and probably more than one some things and also quite a few things that aren't sinister mm -hmm. there it's just a mishmash of crazy shit yeah absolutely <laughs> but no that being said it's again we are absolutely looking to go to this place in the future yeah and if any of you out there like want to you can go to the website and book a night and experience it for yourselves but all i'm gonna say is have fun and good luck <laughs> yeah. and you know don't be stupid yep <laughs> i'm That's sorry to one. be as blunt about it but you know if they're mocking the Trinity, there's a reason why people turn off 
their equipment and like leave the room mm-hmm. if if there's something that's growling or if there is something that is physically harming you 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 take a break even if you don't just straight leave you take a break you clear yourself you cleanse yourself and if you're gonna go back in then just be careful because these things can and will fuck you up if they get the chance oh i'm gonna walk up in that house look like mr t with all the fucking crystals <laughs> i'm gonna have her on my neck <laughs> i'll be like ah bitches you ain't getting me yeah. <laughs> Be like, no touchy. Yeah. <laughs> this is a no touch zone. Oh my god. But anyway, yes. This is the whole no no square. This is. <laughs> Sorry. This has been the history and occurrences of the Bel Air house, and we hope you enjoyed it. We definitely did. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Tune in next time for more spoopiness and cryptic tales on Something Wicked. Don't forget to follow the links in the show notes for our Facebook group, grab some merch, and get those updates when new episodes are released. Later. Later.